All right, so we're back. We're diving into today. Uh, I remember day one, <laughs> right? We started and we're yeah, like, Jesus, where are you? Yeah. Sort of the chaos of modern life. And you said, we have two options. Sure. Option one, you started Genesis. Yeah. Option two, you started the Gospels. You said, all right, we're going with option one. We're yeah. starting in Genesis. <laughs> the door and was we've unlocked. Been, yeah, the door was unlocked. <laughs> right? And we've done this sort of survey through the Old Testament. I think this really rich marination, uh, sort of this rich journey through the story and the narrative of the people of Israel. Sure, yeah. And now we're arriving today, right, at option two, yeah. which is the Gospels. Yeah. Um, and I think what's really helpful about what we've done is you've set the stage so now we can enter into the Gospels yeah. with the story in mind. Totally. As Jesus would enter yeah, the Gospels, totally. as the first century reader would enter the Gospels, with primarily the Old Testament text shaping their understanding. Totally, yeah. No, no, no. I think that's really what I want to get into today is as we enter the Gospels is not uh, forgetting um, as much as possible the stuff yeah. that we've talked about before, yeah, yeah. but how do we incorporate those first, I think that's seven or eight sessions, yeah. into now these final couple sessions yeah. of how we look at the New Testament in particular today, yeah. um, the Gospels. Yeah, it's not like, I think sometimes we do this. I think you're totally right. Like sometimes we get into the Gospels and we think, all right, now we're starting at like the beginning. Yeah. It's like, no, 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 actually, these only make sense exactly when they're connected to the story of the Hebrew Bible, Bible. the story yeah. of the Old Testament. Totally, yeah. No, I think this is a really good, this be a really good conversation. I think uh, just maybe to start off, just a couple quick key things here. Okay. The word gospel, and it's a churchy word, but it just simply means good news, yeah. right? And so Jesus is and bringing the good news of God's kingdom. That's a lot of how the language works in the New Testament. Um, just again, very basic. There's four books of the Bible that we call gospels, right? Okay. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they all kind of narrate and tell the life and teachings and ministry of Jesus. Okay, and so you have gospel, the gospel, Evangelion, yeah. the good news, and then you have four gospels. Yes. I mean, technically, they all have like as, a, as the heading, right? The gospel according to Got it. Matthew. So this is Matthew's rendition or telling of the gospel of Jesus. Yeah. This is Mark's rendition or telling of the gospel. Yeah. Of, of Mark. Which is kind of interesting, right? Because yeah. usually we use gospel like share the gospel. Totally, yeah. And we have like, you know, whatever, your your gospel sharing tool of choice. Totally. Whereas yeah. what they did is they told stories. They told stories, exactly, yeah. And they told the life story of Jesus. Obviously, it culminates in his death and resurrection. Yeah. Um, but it's the whole, to me, it's like the whole thing. is yeah. Even is, pre-Jesus. Pre-Jesus, yeah. This whole thing, because as we're going to see, there's the Genesis stories, the creation stories, the Exodus stories, the exile stories that we've looked at. Have all shaped Jesus's mindset and way of thinking as he enters first century Jerusalem and mm -hmm. Judea and Galilee, and those stories he's carrying forward. And he'll say things like in the Gospels, "I've not come to abolish the law or the prophets." That's kind of a Jewish way of saying the Bible of his day. Yeah. I've not come to set that aside, but to fulfill that. And mm -hmm. to fulfill is like this idea of bringing to completion or bringing to its intended purpose or goal. Mm -hmm. Paul will say in Romans ten that Christ is the telos or the the goal. Yeah. of of the law or the goal of the scriptures and yeah. so jesus and paul they see jesus himself as the fulfillment the the fruition the climax if you will of everything that we've talked about um so far so i think just for for today i think i really want to help and bring a conversation to the forefront here of like how do we then engage the gospels how do we read them in a way that keeps in mind some of the stuff we've talked about and then how does that speak into what we're going through okay. right now? So uh, maybe to start off more on like the side of, okay, how do we read and engage 
the Gospels. I think a couple things, and we've alluded to them a little bit here, of kind of a literary way of reading these narratives. And what I mean by that is paying attention to kind of the echoes and the quotations and the hyperlinks back to the Old Testament. Okay. So that if you're engaging, like, say, a paragraph or two in a Gospel, um, hopefully you're able to then pick up on some of those allusions that Mark wants you or assumes that you already know. And it is trying to get you to see here, Jesus is fulfilling or bringing forward or is connected back to, you know, this Old Testament passage or this Old Testament yeah. sort of narrative. And sometimes that happens. Like if you have your study Bible or whatever, and you look over and it's like, oh, it tells you yeah, the verse. Totally. Oh, but yeah. sometimes it's not so explicit. It's not so explicit. Yeah. Sometimes there's an illusion happening yeah. that if you're not paying attention you just read right You just read through. right over. Yeah. And that's a good, I think those are two, you bring up two very good practical things to start off with is a lot of times in your physical Bibles, they have like those little tiny yeah. little numbers or letters. Yeah. And I think it's a very practical way of like follow those yeah. if you can, and you'll begin to make those connections. That's one way to look at it. Um, and then another way is if you have like a new American standard translation, oftentimes for at least the direct quotes, they'll in all caps hmm. have those Old Testament quotes just bolded in caps for yeah. you. And that's just like a helpful way. Sure. To but recognize. not every translation. Not every, not every translation does that. But those are just, I think, some preliminary things sure. um, to point out. Um, but maybe to start off, I just have th- kind of three kind of quick skills for reading the Gospels to come out and engage okay. with these. And the first one is just the simple discover of the significance of repeated words and ideas okay. and kind of looking at how these repeated words more or less can tie stories um, together. And so you might have back to back to back stories that have similar phrases or words and then being able to then you as the reader go back and try to, how, what do these stories have in common? Hmm. What do they have in different and how do they tie together not only as little individual stories, but maybe this larger section of narrative? Hmm. And then how does that larger section of narrative point to Jesus and explain who Jesus is? Yeah. And where is the connection back to the Old Testament? Yeah. Um, so, so I can think of like one story in Mark where it's like, I think there's the feeding of the 4,000 or 5,000. And then it repeats like yeah. a few chapters later. Totally. And they're both like, hey, why is this happening twice? Why is it happening again, right? Yeah. And then it's inviting you because of what happens in those in that narrative yeah. is there's responses of the religious leaders that take yeah. place. And it's oftentimes, I think Richard Hayes calls it like the Markin sandwich, the Mark yeah. sandwich, yeah. where oftentimes you'll have like similar stories on the front and back end. Mm-hmm. And then there's a narrative that's happening in the middle. Yeah which kind of you're supposed to then read the story in the middle and the stories on the outer yeah. portions and how they mutually interpret each other. Yeah. And in, in the case that you're bringing up with the feeding of the 5,000, there's responses of different people yeah. that are happening in between. And then you're kind of invited into how am I responding yeah. to Jesus? Yeah. What's my reaction? Where do I fit in with these, uh, these narratives? Yeah. Um, another example is in early on in the book of Luke, the phrase, the son of God or God's beloved son, hmm gets repeated a number of times. And that itself is an echo back to some Old Testament passages we can get to in a second. Um, But the story of Jesus' baptism in Luke 3, uh, the Father declares from the heavens, this is my beloved Son. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then the genealogy that comes after that, which we sometimes skip over, but that genealogy links Jesus as um, the Son of God in it, and then all the way back to Adam being a Son of God. Yeah. Um, then you get into the temptation narrative, the next chapter in Luke chapter four, and the, the tempter comes to Jesus and says, if you are, same phrase, the son of God. So this is getting repeated again. Um, Jesus, after he uh, has his little temptation narrative in the wilderness, goes into Nazareth, his hometown, and people ask, who is 
uh, whose son is this? They ask. Mm -hmm. um, and then Jesus casts out some demons in the next sequence of stories. And it's the demons who say, you are the son of God. Hmm. And so you have like this, this repeated phrase that's happening in these back-to-back-to-back -back -back stories. Yeah. And it's getting you, the reader, on one hand, you know Luke's intention. Because Luke has told you as the author, this is the son of God. Yeah. But then you have people questioning and wondering, who is this? The devil is questioning if you are the son of God. Um, you have Jesus coming into his hometown. They're asking, who is this? Whose yeah. son are you? And lo and behold, it's the most unlikely of characters. It's the demons that seem to at least identify that Jesus is the son of God. And it kind of mm. gets you wondering, okay, who is this Jesus? Mm. And how am I identifying and responding to, uh, to Jesus? Now, okay. so I hear, pay attention to the hyperlinks. Mm -hmm. Pay attention to repeated words. Yeah. And what was the third one? This is all part of this same okay. idea of paying okay. attention to the, the repeated words and hyperlinks are kind of all okay. under one sort of bucket. Okay. Right. And so this kind of helps us see how these stories have been intentionally placed together. They've been intentionally yeah. brought sure. together to get you, the reader, to think on these questions okay. of who is this Jesus and how am I responding um, to him? And with a very particular title, Son of God, back in the book of Exodus, Israel, in Exodus chapter 4, Israel is called uh, God's son. Mm -hmm. In the book of Exodus, in Hosea 11, um, God calls Israel that you, I have been a father to you. You have been like my son. Um, so all throughout at least this point in the Hebrew Bible, it's Israel that's fulfilled the role of being, quote, God's son in a sense. Um, but here comes Jesus onto the scene and Luke and the gospel writers will declare that, no, this human, single human, not the whole nation at this point is God's son. Mm. And it's almost as if Jesus is stepping in to the place of Israel, being like the true Israel, the Israel that has failed in the past and is bringing all of those failures uh, on himself and leading the way forward. So that, that whole storyline back before with Abraham and Isaac and the Exodus can see its fulfillment and completion in Jesus. Hmm. Um, and so this is just, I think, one of the narrative ways that Luke and the, the gospel writers um, try to do this. Um, there's also just stories can be linked by repeated ideas. And this is, you were mentioning this too with some of the, the feeding narratives. Mm -hmm. So you have kind of similar stories like that that often get placed next to each other. Um, in the middle of Matthew, there's a sequence where John the baptizer in Matthew 11 doubts that Jesus is the Messiah. Um, in the next sequence of narratives at the end of Matthew 11, a bunch of different towns react to Jesus being the Messiah. Jesus actually has like this, like, woe to you, Corazon, mm -hmm. or to you, Beth Bethsaida sure, sure. in that uh, sequence. Um, and then in Matthew 12, some of the Pharisees begin rejecting and reacting and responding to Jesus. And then in Matthew 13, the next sequence of stories, Jesus tells a parable of the four soils and how there's this sower who's sowing seed. And there's these four different responses mm -hmm. to this message. And you, the reader, by the time you've gotten to Matthew 13, have already seen uh, in narrative story form different characters responding to Jesus, John the baptizer, the towns and throughout Israel, the Pharisees. And now Jesus begins to tell a story of like, this is what the kingdom of God is like. Hmm. As you go around proclaiming the good news, there's going to be a variety of sponsors. And again, this is another way of inviting you, the reader. Okay. How am I going to respond to hmm. this Jesus? How am I going to respond to what um, he's saying? So that's paying attention to the hyperlinks and the repeated words is the first one. The second one kind of builds off that, paying attention to how characters respond to Jesus. Okay. 
as the second one. And I think that's super important is when you're reading the narratives, just in general, how are the characters responding to Jesus Yeah. and where do you fit in or, or disagree, disagree or agree with some of that? And what are the results? And then the third one is just simply reread and reread some more. Hmm. I think there's an element of just simply, you can't read these stories straight through in a single sitting and then expect to have gotten everything out of it. Yeah. I think the gospels are intentionally designed for you to continually read and reread for like a lifetime of reflection yeah. and meditation. And find new layers. New layers of, of meaning and seeing new connections back um, to the Old Testament. So um, these are just some simple skills to just kind of keep in the back of your head. Okay. Uh, with so that. as we transition into the Gospels and we're sort of asking, Jesus, where are you? One yeah. of the ways that we engage with that is just paying attention to the hyperlinks, paying yeah. attention to repeated words, paying attention to how people respond. Yeah. Uh, and then just sort of rereading them and yeah. seeing how is Jesus present to present people. in those peop- stories. Yeah. yeah, and this this does uh, require I think both taking like a short section of scripture and really wrestling with that individually. Yeah, but this I'm I'm just assuming, but this also requires I think reading more broadly, like longer uh, sections of scripture, yeah. sometimes five, six, seven chapters at a time, to see these big uh, themes yeah. connected across. I think it's a both and. Yeah. Um, especially in these narrative yeah. forms, because sometimes you're like, "Why is that story there?" Well, I think if you zoom out a bit, you'll see how yeah. it. Can it's often a different fit in. way of connecting. I know there was a season for me when I would walk to work, and it was a longer walk. It's before we had kids, and I would do a gospel yeah. on the way to work. I would listen to it, and then I would do a gospel on the way back. Big hack, yeah. So every day I was going through at That's least awesome. one to two gospels yeah. a day. So I did that for a couple months, and you realize like it's a very different way of engaging yeah. with the stories than zooming in totally. and both both work both and are work. both are super helpful yeah um i one of the reasons i did it is when i was in israel i was told by one of the jewish scholars there he said uh yeah you know when when you were actually following a rabbi you got to be with them yeah he's like i don't understand how someone could be a christian if they didn't at least read a gospel a day so <laughs> wow. they could be with yeah. jesus totally. uh in whatever he was doing yeah Oh man, I love that. So it sort of stuck with yeah. me. No, totally. And I think I just had a friend recently who was asking me about like, you know, because he's fairly new to the Bible yeah. and kind of like, where do I start? Yeah. And, you know, sometimes you, you know, no, there's nothing wrong with this. Like you, you maybe hand someone like a one-year Bible plan and it yeah. starts you off in Genesis. And again, I'm not trying to yeah. be negative with that. I just have found, even for me personally, by the time you get to like February and some of those plans, you're in like Leviticus or something and it's just like game yeah. over, yeah. you know, I think there's something to not only starting in the gospels, but having that be like a regular part of whatever scripture reading rhythm that you have, that, that, that vision of Jesus is constantly just before our eyes. And then obviously you want to expand and read sure. the Old Testament and all that. Well, but we did start in We Genesis. did start that. Yes, we did that. But it's because we want to have this anchor of who Jesus truly totally. is in his first century Jewish setting yeah. and not just completely time warp him into our day, totally. assuming we know everything. Makes sense. Um, so that's part of what we're trying to do here. Um, a few couple quick um, things here just to differentiate some stuff. How then, so those are some of the, the skill sets to pay attention to, the hyperlinks, the repeated words, how characters are responding, and then rereading over and over again. Yeah. And then specifically then with how the Old Testament comes into play with this. There's a couple different ways that the New Testament writers and the gospel writers in particular do this. The first one is fairly simple. It's just a direct quotation. 
Um, and you'll, those are like the easiest ones to spot, yeah. you know, it'll say like the prophet Micah said, and then, yeah. and usually it's formatted for you nicely in your Bible and like yeah. a different form. So it's just yeah. glaring just right back at you. So there's a quotation. There's also then, this is uh, from a guy named Richard Hayes, who kind of works sure. through some of these differentiations. He calls it the second level being an illusion where it's still fairly obvious if you have familiar with your old Testament, but it's not as obvious as a direct quotation. Um, one of the more famous examples is, so John the Baptist early on in the gospel narratives is described as having like this eccentric camel hair clothing and locusts and honey. Yeah. That's what my kids, that's what <laughs> they love about the story. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's like, it's, it's a phenomenal uh, visual in a children's yeah. Bible. Um, technically that's not like a direct quote to any no. passage in the old Testament, but it's a clear allusion to Elijah yeah. in the book of Kings. And why that's important is because uh, the prophet Malachi talked about there be a one like Elijah to come before the Messiah comes. So John the Baptist is filling that role from the prophet Malachi by this allusion back to the book of Kings of being this greater than Elijah or this Elijah type um, sort of figure. So that's not a direct quote, but there's yeah. a clear allusion um, to that. Um, another, another level below that that's a little more not difficult, but you got to work for it a little bit more is what he calls an echo. And again, this is maybe not quite as much on the descriptive side, but maybe it's a key word or a key couple words, not maybe like a full description. It's a little bit shorter. Um, a famous example that technically isn't a direct quote, and he doesn't say it's technically an illusion, but like the 40 days and 40 nights of Jesus being tempted in the wilderness hmm. has it's an echo because it echoes back not to just one key story in the Old yeah. Testament, but multiple key stories in the Old Testament. I mean, you can just think of how just the significance of 40 days or the period of 40 years yeah. has on a variety of different stories and how Jesus on that level, if you read the temptation narrative um, in light of the Old Testament, I think this is actually a really good example. I think sometimes what we do with the temptation narratives in Matthew 4 and Luke 4 is we first immediately bring, okay, this is like temptation lesson 101, how to beat temptation. Okay. And we kind of just, okay, how do we do what Jesus did to defeat, you know, our battles with the Satan and whatever, mm -hmm. um, which is fine. I think that's a place to get to there. Yeah. It's, it's important. But what the story is really trying to show is that how here's Jesus fulfilling and bringing and, and re-entering re into the story of Israel and carrying the story of Israel forward so that where Israel failed 40 years in the wilderness, Jesus... Succeeded. succeeded, right? Yeah. And so this is the Matthew and Mark and Luke's and John's way of saying, here's Jesus fulfilling and, and bringing to fruition what Israel failed in the past and carrying the story of Israel um, forward. Now, again, there's a lot of different 40 analogies that you sure, can sure. build off that as well. Um, the fourth one is what he calls like an analogy, where this is like a technique that works kind of in tandem with some of the above ones that we talked about. But these are like uh, just kind of like a literary, like very subtle ways of echoing back into some of these older um, Old Testament stories. I think of, so like early on in the Gospel of Matthew, the Lord appears to Joseph in a dream um, and is talking about how get up, take your child in Matthew chapter two, his mother, and go into the land of Israel for those who sought the child's life are dead. So Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and they came into the land of Israel. And um, when Moses gets called back to Egypt, um, it says in the book of Exodus, for those who wanted to kill you are dead. And they came back 
to the land of Egypt. So there's like these very subtle kind of parallel lines that are, hmm. are going with each other. And it's like, here's Moses back in Exodus um, being invited to come back into Egypt at this point to bring salvation to the Israelites. Here is Jesus, though. He's now being called to leave Egypt. Because remember, he had to flee to Egypt mm -hmm. to come back to Israel to bring salvation to Israel. So there's an inversion that's happening, but they, they're working together. It's mm -hmm. this Jesus is, be, is being depicted as, and this is a repeated theme early on in Matthew, Jesus is being the new Moses where he's leading his people through, through the waters and into a new exodus um, and so on. So those are just some of the key um, kind of layers and ideas of how these Old Testament narratives work with uh, the New Testament. So there's more details in the notes for those of you who want to jump into some of that. And there's a little summary chart here that I have as well. Um, all this maybe to bring a quick kind of modern example to this. Like how is this, is this just like, geeking out on words that don't really matter. Like wh what is happening here? Why, why are we making such, or why am I making such a big deal about this? And I want to say, I think this is actually how good communication works, um, where there's a, there's an attempt here where you're invited to deep reflection and deep reading on these texts and a surface level kind of skim through these texts is only going to get you so far. And you're, we're being invited into like a deeper kind of way of communicating in a more rich and a more, I think, rewarding way of engaging with these texts. Uh, the example that like I've often used a lot is like with echoes and illusions is like the classic Star Wars, like I am your father, right? Mm -hmm. And so these are like the media of our day where you just say that one line and the whole world of Star Wars can come. And if you're, you know, in tune with the Star Wars universe, you can picture that scene where Luke's yeah. hand gets cut sure, off sure. kind of a thing. And a similar thing is happening with these echoes and illusions where the Old Testament is like the media, if you will, of like Mark's day or of John's day. And he, on some level, is just expecting his readers to have that media just logged in the back of his head so that you can make these connections of Jesus to Moses or Jesus to Israel or Jesus as the new Adam and things like this that really just bring some flavor and bring some more nuance to what Jesus is actually um, doing. And then I have in the notes here, this is actually in one of Hayes' books. He, he talks about this early on in the book of this example of, so when Barack Obama gave his election victory speech in 2008, he had a few key lines that were more or less direct echoes or quotes back to a speech that Dr. Martin Luther King gave hmm. decades before. And so there's like that famous Dr. King quote where it's the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. And Barack Obama in 2008, when he was elected for his victory speech, he said, tonight bends our chance to put our, put our hands on the arc of history and bend it once more um, toward hope of a better day. And so people were beginning to think, okay, here's, you know, Barack Obama, or probably his speechwriter, is doing something very intentional mm -hmm. here, right? He's wanting to, whoever wrote this speech, or Obama, maybe it was Obama, I don't know, is trying to make a connection. And if you're uh, perceptive enough to kind of have that background of Dr. King, like you get the goodies in a way, so to speak. You kind of can make that um, sort of connection. And there's a few other examples where in that same speech, uh, Barack Obama did the same thing with the speech Dr. King gave back in the late 1960s. So um, it's just an interesting way of how communication works. Yeah. I think it's important because I think this is how literarily on a literary level, how these New Testament gospels are working in conjunction with the Old Testament. So, sure. so we've spent, you know, six, seven weeks 
going through the Old Testament. So you're trying to figure out, help us yeah. to connect those dots. To those dots, yeah. So that's where these, these skills, these tools sort of come into place. I think the question I would ask at this point is, okay, like I think I get that. Yeah. How does the question, sort of the anchoring question of this series is Jesus, where are you? Yeah. Where is God in the midst of the chaos of everyday totally. life? All that stuff. How does the gospel answer that question? That question. Right? So let's say I pick up on the illusions. I get the tools. Yeah. Awesome. How does the gospel speak into that question? Totally. Yeah. And I think this is important because I think the first step is to, I think, really get the richness in the, in the I think, the, the most significant, the closest to the true meaning of the text is yeah. to in, insert ourselves in the first century first before we jump to the 21st century. Sure. Meaning we're invited to enter into this world of here's Israel longing and waiting and suffering and under oppression. Yeah. And they are literally asking this question, you know, where is the Messiah? God, where are you? When are you yeah. coming back? Um, and so it's in first is in seeing ourselves in that moment. And then when you specifically begin to read the text here and begin to read the gospels themselves, is that as you're doing this, you're beginning to see that Jesus is is entering into pockets and places where there's pain and there's brokenness, and he's doing new creation, new exodus, new exile type stuff. So like his healings, um, his teachings, all of these things are connected with bringing this new way of life into a world that was suffering and hurting and broken. I think just seeing that context is helpful because then it makes it makes more sense then when Jesus heals a leper, well, he's not just doing a nice deed just to do a nice deed, and he's not just being a nice guy just to be a nice guy. He's bringing a little bit of new creation to that leper. When Jesus is uh, being baptized and going through the waters, it's not just you know a random act that he's doing. He's initiating this new exodus of going through the waters and declaring that through him, there's going to be a new way of salvation, a new way of living in the world. Uh, when Jesus teaches on the Sermon on the Mount, it's not just moral lessons and moral of sort of things to you know grab a hold of, hold of and memorize. This is Jesus instructing his disciples on what does it look like to live in this new reality called the new creation or the kingdom of God? And how does that meet just like on a very practical level on our day-to-day -day lives? Like Jesus' teachings fit into that larger framework of what does it look like to be a people where you're marginalized, you're suffering, you're hurting, you're broken. How do you operate and think and live into those moments? Well, Jesus's teachings are an answer to, to some of those things. Hmm. Um, so I think that's kind of one of the one of the important way to to frame some of these things. Okay, so when Jesus, so you're using big th phrases like new creation, new exodus, yeah. like so you're saying when we read Genesis. Because like, I don't hear Jesus saying, yeah. like, I'm initiating a new creation. Yeah, yeah. I don't hear Jesus saying, I'm initiating a new exodus. Totally, yeah, yeah. I don't hear Jesus saying, like, I'm giving you a new Torah. Though he might totally. have, he has probably more there sure. directly that totally. he says. Um, so is this sort of getting back to the illusions thing? Yeah, so yeah. So this is where then, this is where the connection comes with the hyperlinks and seeing just the richness of these stories. So like, let's take creation, for example. Um was it it's Matthew Mark and John all come out of the gate swinging with Genesis language in like the first sentence or two of their respective gospels yeah. right so you have in the beginning in the beginning in John 1 is the first one right so there's your direct that's like the easiest one to pull out uh, Matthew starts off with a genealogy um, but his genealogy is 
the beginning of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. That word genealogy is the word is the Greek word for Genesis um, in the, in the text there. So this is Matthew's way of articulating. Here is the Genesis. It's really it could be translated. Here is the Genesis of Jesus, the son of Abraham, mm. the son of David, so on and so forth. Yeah. So there, Matthew's wanting to pull back the veil and bring Genesis one into the picture. Um, and Mark, Mark one one is the beginning of the gospel. Now you might just go, okay, well, it's just happenstance that the word beginning is being used there. And I kind of will push back and say, no, I think there's an intentionality there yeah. where Jesus, where Mark is trying to say something here, the beginning of the gospel. Like this is a new beginning that's happening here. And this is, we're all referring back to Genesis 1-1, right? In the beginning, God created mm-hmm. um, the heavens and the earth. You also have in Mark 1, uh, where Jesus is baptized in, in Mark chapter 1, and the spirit hovers or descends upon Jesus in that narrative. And the question then becomes, okay, so what's the significance of the spirit coming down and hovering or descending like that? Well, the, the other time that that happened was back in Genesis 1 where the spirit was hovering over the water. So there's this echo back to Genesis chapter 1 um, in that sense um, with like the exile motif. I think, again, I have like a whole chart of just Mark chapter 1 in particular. And I think this is what... We'll talk about in our actual Zoom session in more detail, but a, like a case study of how to look at the hyperlinks. And so I have on one column, Mark 1, and then I've hi- highlighted the different Old Testament texts that could be potential hyperlinks. And then a third column where we can talk about the significance and meaning for like our modern yeah. sort of time. Um, but just real quickly to point out, when in Mark chapter 1, where Jesus is baptized, the text says that the heavens were torn open or rendered open. And then the spirit came down. Now that phrase, the heavens were torn open or rendered open is a direct quote quotation or echo back to Isaiah 64, which is a huge prophetic element of when the Messiah comes and exile is over, God would rend the heavens and come down and the mountains would quake Hmm. at his presence. And so here's Mark saying, this is that Isaiah 64 moment. The heavens have been torn open. The spirit is coming and here's the Messiah coming out of the waters and everything Isaiah is talking about in Isaiah 64 is happening right here in Mark one in the Jordan river. Um, and I think like a lot, you're not going to get that if you don't have the old Testament in the back, kind of in the back of your head there. Um, so, I mean, I think that's just some of what we're talking about here now, just like a minute or two left here. I want to just kind of end with, um, Mark chapter one, I think is a, a perfect way to kind of practice some of this and to see not only how can we recognize the old Testament quotations and allusions and all that sort of stuff. And that creation, Exodus, exile themes that are all in Mark chapter one, there could be, we could pick any chapter in the gospels and do this, but Mark one's a good one to, to start off with. And then to also ask the question, okay, what is the significance and meaning for this? So I think for those of us who are listening to this, and on the notes, you know, feel free to look at this page in particular. I think it's really important. And this is where I think I really want to spend some time discussing this. How do we kind of exercise and work this out and see, okay, what's the significance of this? What's the fruit and the benefit, <clears throat> excuse me, of reading the Old Testament in this way? And where do we go from here? Like, how does this like land on the ground um, okay. for us? So, All right. So what you're giving us in this sort of podcast is more focused on how do we lean in to the gospels? And then when we get into the group, it'll be more on the ground for us. Like how does this apply? Yeah. In a sense. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I hope that as we look at these and you read some of these, these texts and you see some of this happening here, you can begin to 
not only I think have a deeper appreciation for who Jesus is and what he came to do, but also begin to see yourself in these texts. Mm -hmm. How are you responding to Jesus? How are you relating to Jesus? You know, where are the aches and the cries of your heart? And how is Jesus, because he's fulfilling the Old Testament, answering some of those things in our lives? Sounds good. Yeah. Thanks, Aaron. Cool.